Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we continue our series, The Power of the Gospel. So turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to 23, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, You've Got to Serve Somebody. A number of years ago, Bob Dylan wrote a song that I think expresses well the theme of Romans 6, 15 to 23. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. You may be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion, or you might live in a dome. You might have guns, and you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir. Might like to wear cotton, might like to wear silk, might like to drink whiskey, might like to drink milk. You might like to eat caviar, you might like to eat bread. You may be sleeping on the floor or sleeping in a king-sized bed, but... You've got to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. You know, today we're going to examine Romans 6, 15 to 23, and I've called this address, You've Got to Serve Somebody. So let's start with verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. We notice that Paul begins by asking Christians a question. Are we free to make a choice to sin or not to sin? That is, it's our choice to make. After all, we've been set free from the Old Testament law. Can we then easily sin at one moment, ask forgiveness the next, and then be free at any moment to repeat the same formula or be free at any moment to stop sinning? After all, when you come to grace, sin no longer counts against us. Furthermore, Paul has said that the more sin increased, the more grace abounded. There is no end of grace. God's grace overflows and knows no bounds. So if that is true, what, if any, is the effect of sin? To that, Paul gives six answers, and I'm going to go through all six of them one at a time. Here's the first. All people are slaves, either to God or to sin. That's what Dylan's saying about you've got to serve somebody. I know it's such a huge shock to many people because we consider ourselves free at each moment in our decision-making process. See, when temptation comes our way, I, I can learn to fight and prevail or I might fall into sin, but grace abounds. Therefore, my freedom, at least so we think, my freedom remains intact. But let's say it's the first time you ever lie to your spouse. Initially, you're horrified by what you've done. You never wanted there to be anything other than honesty and transparency in your marriage. You feel grief and guilt and anguish, and you decide you failed, and so you repent before God and you determine never to do that again. But you do. And then comes the second stage of your lying, when it's no longer a horror that you feel, but you're only shaken at your failure. 
You're left with an uneasy conscience. Then comes the third stage when lying becomes natural and even easy, and that at last you come to realize that lying has you. It's mastered you. You can't stop lying because lying controls you and it makes demands on you. You serve the lie. Lie is your master. And you'd say no to the lie, but the lie smirks at you and and demands your submission, for the lie can call you to obey, and it will overrun your will and determine your pathway. Hear me, that's not just true for lying. It's it's true about cursing. It's it's true about anger. It's true about adultery and and all the sexual sins. It's, It's true of greed and all the sins of pride and manipulation related to money. It's true of those who are addicted to power over others and what is required to keep such power. It's true of gossip. It's true of abuse. In fact, everyone is serving somebody or something, and it's either God or it's sin and the devil. See, that's the first truth. Oh, I wish it wasn't so, but it is. That is the human condition. You've got to serve somebody. So let's go on. In Romans chapter 615, we're going to read that again, and then we're going to go through to verse 16. So follow with me. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Okay, we've said that we all serve somebody or something. Here now is the second truth. We are slaves to the one we obey. If you want to know who your master is, just take note of whom you're obeying. You might say, but I don't want to obey that master. Well, true enough, but you are obeying that master. This now becomes your identifying mark. You may not see it, but others will. Jesus put it this way, and I'm reading from John chapter 8, verse 34. There he said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. That's because sin is never a one-off. Now, notice again the words of verse 16. If you present yourselves to anyone as an obedient slave. Now, there's an image of going over to a slave owner's house, knocking on the door and saying, Hi, my name's Sally, and and I want to be your slave. Now, if that sounds like an unlikely scenario, well, it's actually not. In the ancient world, it was common for people to sell themselves into slavery in order to prevent being taken into prison because of their debt. In other words, this was done. The point Paul is making is that you're a slave as a result of personal choice. You're responsible for your slavery. Don't you go around saying, if I'm a slave, how can I be held responsible when you are the one who sold yourself into slavery in the first place? So here is the point. You can't sin without consequences. You can't just sin saying, well, there's always grace. I'll just ask for forgiveness. You can ask for forgiveness. And grace, as Paul says, abounds. But here he adds a truth. Sin is habit-forming and enslaving. And if you're a slave of sin, you will die, meaning that there is not grace for the one who continues to serve sin. You can only serve one master. Now let's go to verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So let's review. One, you've got to serve somebody. 
Two, you're slaves of the one you obey. And now, thirdly, conversion is defined in this way. It's a change of slave owners. That's the definition. Now, in conversion, the good master or the benevolent master, the master who means to do us well, Jesus Christ himself has purchased you for himself. Imagine, if you will, a slave who bears up under the beatings and the abuse of a master who cares nothing for that slave. And then one day, a master of love purchases that slave so that there is a transfer of ownership. No longer slaves of sin, but slaves to the standard of teaching you are committed, and that standard is the gospel standard of how we now live our lives. Now, if you notice verse 17, notice again that it begins as follows. Thanks be to God. Now, this is said because the new slavery is the most liberating, joy-filled, freeing kind of slavery that a man or woman can encounter. But what is especially fascinating here is that Paul does not say that Christian teaching was handed over to us when we were saved. Rather, he says that we were handed over to Christian teaching. See, when you were saved, teaching is not given to you as if you can now decide what you will do with it. No, that would break the slave image. Rather, we were handed over to the teaching. We were handed over to the doctrine. We were handed over to the standard of biblical and Christian truth and to the lifestyle that we are now taught. After all, we are still slaves, and you've got to serve somebody. More about that when we come back. This idea of slavery when it comes to describing the Christian faith may not be one that we typically focus on or even know much about. But it's clear that Paul emphasizes the theme as a way of clearly showing how every believer goes from being literally a slave of sin to now becoming a slave of Christ. Yet how does this new form of slavery actually equate to the best life we could ever experience? Well, we'll find out more right after the break. October balances on the threshold of seasonal change. It sits between suntan and snow, announcing the end of summer activity and the preparations of winter. This month of change has a beauty all its own. Trees become bouquets of red, orange, yellow, and tan. Cupboards and barns are filled with a harvest from garden and field. Families will gather together around a table for a celebration meal of gratitude. This Thanksgiving season, we want to express our deepest gratitude for all you do. Your prayers, gifts, and encouraging words mean more than you could ever imagine. Thank you for faithfully tuning into this Bible teaching program. It's our honor to partner with you to share the love and truth of God's Word. For more information or to give a special Thanksgiving gift, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at one 800 663 24 There is no greater joy than obedience to Christ and to His Word. Yes, He is our Master and we are His servants, even His slaves, but this slavery is delightful. You see, that's the difference between being a slave to sin and being a slave to Christ. When you serve sin, you hate yourself. When you serve Christ, You love every moment of it. Your heart's rejoicing. 
Every once in a while, I'll, I'll have been to a worship service or a prayer time or a Bible study or a service project, and a new believer will be there, and they'll say something like, well, I've never had so much fun without a hangover in the morning. Well, indeed. So let's review. First, all people are slaves. Second, you can tell who your master is by who you obey. And third, conversion is by its very definition a change of slave owners. So let's go on. I'm at verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Notice that Paul is here again using the analogy of presenting yourself. But this time, what we are presenting is our members. Clearly from the context, the members Paul has in mind are the members of our body. So we knock on Jesus' door and we say to him something like what Francis Havergal wrote in a hymn entitled, Take My Life and Let It Be. He wrote, Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let it sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold, and so forth. Paul is saying that. And so I'm offering up my body to Christ as his slave. Now, Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms. Please understand that when Paul used this illustration, it's more than an illustration. It was, in fact, an everyday reality for his readers. See, the institution of slavery in the ancient world is without parallel, even in the contemporary Western world. See, unlike American slavery, ancient Roman slavery, this form had nothing to do with with race or ethnic origin. Some estimates say that about one quarter of the workforce in the entire Roman Empire was made up of slaves and that over half of the city of Rome was populated by slaves. Now, if that's true, we can only assume that many of the people in the Roman church were in fact slaves. And slaves came from every conceivable background. Some were bureaucrats and some were artisans, some were teachers and philosophers, some were even doctors. Slaves performed every kind of service, but most slaves were involved in long hours of drudgery that made one's life hard and meaningless. But of one thing we must be certain, a slave was the property of the master. In other words, you might call your boss a slave driver today, and you might even call your work slavery, but you don't really know what the word means. When you go home at night, your time is your own. When you're a slave, no time is your own. Your master could get you out of bed at two in the morning, and you had to do whatever he said. There were no vacations from slavery. In many cases, you were born and you died a slave, but you longed for better. Now, when many of these slaves found Jesus, they hardly thought of their lives in Jesus as slavery. They remember the words of Christ himself, who in John 8, 36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And truly, Christianity is freedom and not slavery. So why does Paul call slavery here as an image? Remember, he said, I'm speaking in human terms, using a human example. And that's our fourth principle. The cardinal virtue of all slavery is obedience. If you are a follower of Jesus, one virtue that you are called to is absolute unqualified obedience. Jesus himself said in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now hear me, obedience to Jesus is not an option. 
True faith results in obedience. Fake or counterfeit faith results in disobedience. You can tell whether someone has truly believed by whether they submit to Jesus. They offer themselves up to Jesus. When they find their master, Jesus, calling them, they know but one joy-filled response, yes. Now, let's go back to our slavery image and read to the end of chapter 6. So I'm reading now from verses 20 to 23. For when you are slaves to sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit are you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's review. All people are slaves to somebody. The way we identify our master is that we are slaves to the one we obey. Conversion is a change of masters. The cardinal virtue of all slavery is obedience. And now fifth, slavery to sin earns the wage of death. Notice the two metaphors that Paul uses. The first is fruit. As surely as apples grow from an apple tree, so also death grows from a sinner. And the second image is that of a wage. After serving or working for our master's sin, he has us line up to receive our wages at the end of the day, and he pays us out by executing us. Two images, one important reality. The reality is that if you serve sin, you will die. Sin always, no exceptions, ends in death. The key is that for those of us who are in Christ, we once did serve sin. Now comes the last answer to the question of whether after conversion we are free to sin. So six, slavery to God receives the free gift of life. I hope you see the contrast. Slavery to sin earns a wage, but slavery to God receives a gift. Remember, Paul has said that the image of slavery only takes us so far and then it runs out. That's because in one way, we do not serve Christ at all. That's because serving Christ does not pay out my debt to God. And in truth, we do not provide Jesus with anything in the way a slave cared for the needs of his master. In one very important way, the giving and the serving only goes one way or in one direction. Christ serves us. As Jesus himself would say, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So we serve Christ in the way that a patient would obey or serve his or her doctor. So imagine your doctor says to you, this is what I command you to do. And now imagine you do everything the doctor tells you to do and you're healed. Have you served your doctor when you obeyed him? Well, you did. And the benefit was yours. You didn't earn healing for his craft has healed you. Your task was to cooperate with him, to obey him, serve him as it were. So in the life of a believer, serving Christ does not benefit Christ. Christ has no needs, and he certainly doesn't need one thing that you or I offer him. In essence, what we are saying is that serving Jesus is the only means whereby our hellishness is healed. So I'm going to use an illustration. You know, for years I served a church, and in that community they had a food bank. It was only open Wednesday and Thursday, if I remember correctly, and it was only open from about 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. 
And if you kept the command and showed up on those days at those times, you would receive the gift of food. But if you ignored the command and went at some other time, you got nothing. But if you kept the command, you in no way earned the food, the reward. Rather, by obeying the command, you made yourself available to the grace that was being given. See, the same is true of Jesus. That's why verse 22 speaks about the end of our service leading to sanctification and eternal life. Another way of saying that is the goal of our service is sanctification and eternal life. We serve Christ because we know that he is the one who heals the fires of hell that always seek to leap up and consume us. But the good physician is healing my soul, and as I learn to serve him, the end is sanctification. Slowly but slowly, I'm finding that I'm beginning to love the things of God above all other things, and the things that God hates are the very things that are becoming abhorrent to my soul. I am finding that I am serving someone. Now, as Dylan wrote, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but for all believers, we know the answer. We serve the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the honor of serving you. Thank you that you have released us from the law of sin and death. John, thanks for your message today. You know, you're dealing with a tough issue here because the whole idea of slavery, it really, I don't know, there's some negative connotations there, but what are you saying about us and being slaves? Yeah, I think it's really intended on a moral level and on a volitional level. Um, I don't know that we make moral decisions apart from all manner of other things that are there in our lives. So I think that the Bible does teach that, yes, we do freely choose to sin, That's clearly a teaching in the Bible, but not every point in that choice is a free choice. We are driven along by forces that are quite beyond our control, and it is a form of slavery, and we never can get away from that. I mean, thanks be to God for Jesus and the new slavery which leads to freedom. Well, what a great and challenging word from Romans 6, reminding us about who it is we do serve. I think this statement concludes our message so well. Slavery to sin earns us a wage of death. But when we are slaves to God, we actually receive a gift, eternal life. What an amazing truth for the believer in Christ. Perhaps today we might honestly ask ourselves if we're putting off sin every day and living more and more as slaves of righteousness. Well, we'll continue to learn more about our relationship between the law and sin as we unpack Romans chapter 7 on tomorrow's program with Dr. John Newfeld. Stay with us in this series, The Power of the Gospel. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. There is nothing that happens apart from the hand of God. He rules everything. That's the theme of Back to the Bible Canada's annual scripture calendar. The 2024 In All Things scripture calendar reminds us every month in beautiful images, scripture, and inspirational thoughts that God is ever-present. It also contains exclusive quotes from Dr. John Newfeld's new book, available in the new year. It's our hope that this wall calendar resource, complete with a one-year Bible reading plan, will encourage you and help you maintain a spiritual discipline of daily Bible reading in the new year. 
As part of our commitment to providing biblical resources without barrier, we're offering this calendar for free just for the asking. To request yours today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.